Edwards Life Sciences would like to express our gratitude for all those on the front lines of responding to this fluid situation with COVID-19. We appreciate the strong leadership and dedication of healthcare providers to patients around the world, and we express our care and concern for you during this challenging time. You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. This month, Roxana Mehran talks telehealth with Ami Bhatt, Andrew Freeman, and Neeraj Verma. Hello, everyone. It's Roxana Moran from Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, coming to you on Rock's Heart Radio. Today's um, episode is on telehealth. And isn't it so, so very important for us to uh, think about telehealth, its impact on our well, well-being as physicians, but importantly on the well-being of our patients, as well as connection to our patients during this very, very difficult and unprecedented pandemic. For the last um, three or four months now, we've all been sort of under some level of lockdown, social distancing. Uh, our patients in the first few months uh, were no longer coming to the hospital for any kind of an elective elective procedures, and now that we are trying to get them in for their health and trying to set up new avenues of connecting with them, telehealth has been the way to go. On today's um, uh, podcast, I am very, very lucky to have three incredible guests. We have Dr. Ami Bhatt from the um, Massachusetts General Hospital. She's Director of Outpatient Cardiology and Telecardiology. Uh, she's Associate Professor of Medicine at the Harvard Medical School. Welcome, Dr. Bott. I also have uh, Dr. Andrew Freeman, who's Director of Clinical Cardiology at the National Jewish Health uh, Center in Denver, Associate Professor at University of Colorado in uh, National Jewish Health. Welcome, Dr. Freeman. Thank you for having and- me. It's wonderful to have you. And uh, Dr. Nirav Varma, who's Professor uh, of Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic and an electrophysiologist practicing. Um, So it's really wonderful to have all of you here. And let's begin with uh, Dr. Bott as Director of Outpatient Cardiology and Telecardiology. Tell me what this telehealth has meant for you and your colleagues, uh, as well as for your patients at the MGH. Yeah, um, so this is a great question because as you know from March all the way through June was a challenging time for us in Boston. And one thing we really worried about is as we started to recognize we couldn't bring patients in in person, how we were going to continue to provide chronic disease care. Um, It's funny because uh, we had had telehealth available for many years before. I was practicing it since 2013. But um, the uptake had been slow, um, and all of a sudden, with COVID and really necessity, um, our uptake was amazing. And so we went to a fully virtual integrated platform um, in a matter of weeks, and we were able to see um, the majority of the patients that we needed to during that time. Uh, It's actually really great to see how agile we can be. We know that we can be agile clinically, but with workflows, you know, as as a profession, um, we're a little bit slower in changing, uh, but it turned out that when we needed to, we really did it. So we actually still have virtual practice, even though we have opened up the clinics again. 
Uh, we're now figuring out what does a blend look like of virtual and in-person care because our patients have realized it is really uh, not only safer during times of high COVID numbers, but also far more convenient uh, for patients to be able to get their care from home. And it turns out that every clinic visit does not require the laying on of hands. That's a hard part for, for us to swallow sometimes, but it's true. If you have recent imaging or if you just need to check in, um, oftentimes those visits can be done virtually. So we're now creating a blend of virtual and in-person um, and the patients and the clinicians really seem to enjoy it. No, it's a great, uh, it's a great uh, start to talk about all the good. And I think there's no question that there is a good and that some hybrid form could be something that we can think about in the future. But I'll tell you, I've been talking to a lot of my colleagues and my own self. I can tell you it really, really is with all of the burden on us to restart our practices, to gain uh, back the confidence of our patients to come back to the hospitals. And uh, the fact that now there is this venue, I do feel like um, it's, uh, it's difficult. There are some negatives around that as well for us as clinicians not having that in-person communication it was already bad with electronic health records and now this really separates us from our patients um, that's a lot of feedback that i'm getting dr freeman are you uh having those kinds of uh issues or do you feel like this is going to be sort of the way to go we'll, we have to figure out how to do this better so I think, um, similar to Dr. Bott, I think, you know, this was a unique opportunity to really launch this part of our profession forward. You know, think about it, you're in New York, right? So, you know, even going a couple blocks up sometimes can take, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So if you have a doctor's appointment, you need to spend, you know, an hour and a half for something that might take 20 minutes of actual in-person time. So there's a huge convenience factor, and especially with the internet and, and, and wireless uh, services being so good, this is an enormously convenient thing. You know, New York is one of the few places that very quickly, you know, figured out how to make food ordering and grocery ordering and office supplies all electronic. And here we are in medicine, of course, always late, still using pagers and faxes, but finally there. So I would say that this is, I think, here to stay. And I suspect it'll probably be a hybrid model for a number of years. And then it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the future, the physical footprint of the doctor's office is much, much less than it is today. So I, I think this is a, is a great way to kind of not only improve convenience, but it also is, is just a, a wonderful way to connect with people one-on-one -on -one and you get to see inside their home, similar to the old sort of doctor's visit in person when they would stop by your home with the black bags and all that stuff that we don't do too much anymore. Dr. Varma, where's, uh, where's your view on this? Especially as an electrophysiologist, I, I think that you, ha you probably have insights as far as telemonitoring or telemetry, et cetera. Tell us uh, about your experience at the Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that I echo the uh, comments made earlier by the other speakers. Uh, but you're right. In electrophysiology, we've been using telemonitoring in various forms for a long time, probably for about 20 years. And that's because we work with implantable devices. And implantable devices have the capability of having embedded uh, remote monitoring technologies that relay their data to us. So we've been looking at this in our patients with implantable devices in terms of monitoring device function and also diseases like atrial fibrillation. So this, uh, 
system of operating is familiar to us, and we're fortunate in electrophysiology that we have now non-implantable devices that convey the information that we are interested in, and that is arrhythmias. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of healthy consumers have these uh, devices, of course, and they can relate disturbances in heart rate and atrial fibrillation. But what the uh, pandemic has done is accelerated the general interest in uh, telehealth mechanisms, not just data, but also virtual visits, as has been described before. So in electrophysiology, we can perform a large number of our via telehealth using virtual visits, as well as relayed data. So the, we have the infrastructure at the Cleveland Clinic for digital health. What we've seen is an acceleration in the way that this is being used. At some point, we were almost 100% virtual health. And our device clinics uh, were uh, very, very busy. So one of the things uh, that we've had in electrophysiology is that we have had guidelines Class 1A recommendations for using remote monitoring for implantable devices, and those are five years old. And the adoption rate in the United States, even though there was reimbursement, was only about 40%. Um, but that's increased significantly in the last several months, so that it's approaching 80 to 90%, and this is out of necessity. But now that people are used to this, physicians are used to this, and patients are used to this, and they understand that there's an advantage here, not only the convenience of not having to come to hospital, but also the fact that these devices are continuously monitoring. So if something happens, they tell us instantly. This is better than the old system of seeing patients every three months, because at that three-month clinic visit, probably whatever's going to happen has already happened. Better to find out as it occurs. So remote monitoring gives you that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can see it. I can see the advantages in EP, but um, so it's great because we've got three very, very pro telehealth um, uh, participants here today. But let me be the, the, the naysayer here a little bit. Um, first of all, one of the biggest things that I think uh, we're all feeling is that um, the um, the CMS and the, the, the payments uh, for these telehealths are also being curtailed. It doesn't mean that the physician has less to do if they are actually um, uh, uh, working and seeing the patients using telehealth, yet the, yet the reimbursements for these telehealth visits are not in the same order as when you actually spend the time and come in and see the patient and examine the patient, et cetera. So that's one. Number two, I think uh, one of the things that I, I feel frustrated with the telehealth is that a lot of my patients are having difficulty hearing me or not being able to get on. And it just basically takes a lot longer time to kind of get them on to actually see their faces, to see their homes. And maybe um, our patients here in the New York City area are not as savvy as where you guys are. But uh, I can tell you that especially for the elderly patients where I believe uh, all of the inconvenience of having to come to, uh, to the office is that much more important for them to have good telehealth is, is very, very difficult for them to get online, to figure out how to, um, you know, how to be able to be on a, 
uh, either a FaceTime or being able to use uh, their computer, et cetera. So how are you all dealing with those difficulties and where do you see uh, how we can make some of those important changes? And then lastly, about the liability to the doctor who may not be able to do their very best possible thing in actually having an an in-person evaluation um, for the patient and missing something, what would be the liability for that uh, doctor? So those are all of the um, the issues that I'd like to for you guys to to address in the next uh, few minutes. Maybe we start with Dr. Bot. So, so I, I love this. Um, so first of all, born and raised in Queens, I will tell you, we New Yorkers are very savvy. Um, but the point you bring up is excellent. We haven't actually established the workflow or the system for a televisit the way we have a clinic visit. Um, that's kind of our next responsibility. And especially when I say our, I mean the pro telehealth people or the clinical um, administrators in cardiology. We need a system by which those patients are walked through. How do you set it up? doing the test visit, making sure everything works, answering those people's questions. Um, And we really need um, kind of like that um, Apple genius bar to be done with our patients before it gets to the doctor, because otherwise you're right. The administrative burnout of having to, you know, help your grandmother get onto Facebook and now help your patient get onto Zoom, it's too much for a clinician to handle when they're really trying to recover their practice now. So the first thing is system. We need to establish a system where other people are responsible for getting the patients up and running. Once you do that, the burden is easier on the clinician to just do the visit. Now, the second thing I often think about, and you mentioned this earlier too, is we say, well, we can't connect with the patient the same way. Once you get used to it, you'd be surprised. You really do connect. And the patients again and again say, um, it's a matter of respect. The clinician respects my time enough to come to me via the video visit um, and meet with me and doesn't expect me to drive in and wait in the waiting room and then they're running late because they're running up to the floor. I mean, their time is valuable and they really see it as a way of us saying, we respect you as a partner in this care. Um, And and that's definitely been the case. we sometimes worry about not catching things, but I will tell you a virtual visit never means you can't bring them in. You see them on a virtual visit and there is something you think you are missing. There is absolutely nothing to say you can't come in. And for now, while there's parity for telemedicine visits, you know, a lot of um, the insurance companies are starting to talk about, they had a June date then the July, now an August um, date for for maybe changing parity of payment. Um, That's not there yet. So right now, we can get the same reimbursement for virtual visits. So now is the time um, to really learn. And then you didn't ask about it, but I'm going to get to the fiscal part of it, which is we need to get patients back into the office to, to actually, you know, recoup losses. Um, it's a balance. It's knowing which patients don't need to be in the office and can be taken care of virtually. So that the patient with the valve disease who probably needs the TAVR doesn't wait three weeks to get in because there's a backlog. They get in this week, whereas the chronic coronary disease, who we just really need to make sure is still taking that stat and then has the labs checked recently, is at home and we can do that. And if all of a sudden their story sounds like angina and you want an EKG, now we say, okay, you know, this is a great virtual visit. Come on and get that EKG. I think something's going on. Or you sound great. Keep walking in Central Park. Um, So I think there are a lot of things that we need to address. And you're right, it's not easy. But that's where administrators need to come in and say, it's not a doctor's responsibility to get their patient on Zoom. 
um, it's the institution's responsibility to make this as easy as possible for the clinician. Dr. Varma, your response to my, um, are you getting the same amounts of uh, reimbursements for your televisits as you would be when you see an electro, a, 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 a patient with a device in the office? Yeah, so this is a very important point. So we're fortunate again in EP that we have reimbursement for remote monitoring of devices, which actually is greater than an in-person interrogation. But if we widen the scope just to virtual visits, there are a lot of regulatory hurdles, but many of those were actually dissolved during the COVID pandemic. So we see a lot of patients from out of state, for instance, we were allowed to see that the state rules were relaxed so that we could see patients from out of state. We could see new patients virtually, uh, which was not allowed before. Reimbursement stepped up, and you're right, it's not on the same, it's not on par uh, with in-person. So what I was saying was that the recent pandemic forced regulatory agencies to accelerate their, their progress, accelerate their uh, movements towards providing reimbursement and relaxing some of the rules, and that includes liability issues as well. So as a result, we could manage our patients virtually and across state lines. But reimbursement still has to improve. Now, the other yeah. point is regarding the technologies. There are a lot of technologies out there. The question is, which one do you use? And I share the experience that uh, was voiced earlier, that sometimes just making that connection can, be, can consume a lot of time. But that's something that can be resolved. I think as we focus more on telehealth mechanisms, that is something that will be resolved. And if we ask yes. for it, if there's a demand, then that's going to improve. And go, going along with that is interoperability. So we want these telehealth systems to cooperate with our existing in-hospital structures like the EMR. That will make it much more facile. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've done here at Mount Sinai. We've basically built that into our EPIC system, and it's working really, really nicely. Dr. Freeman, uh, what's, uh, where do you see the future? Uh, you, you said this was a launching pad and an incredible opportunity. The pandemic gives us, you know, the silver lining of figuring out telehealth, making it easier for our patients. Do you actually think this is going to make an important impact on outcomes of patients? And if so, how are we going to measure it? So I do think this will help uh, improve access to care for a lot of patients. You know, you could go to the poorest neighborhood in the country and almost everybody has a smartphone. And that's all you really need. And in fact, I would just point out the ACC's recently partnered with a company called Heartbeat Health, which offers for free to members access to a telehealth platform that's incredibly easy to use. So I encourage the listeners to check that out. But I would also point out um, that this type of technology and weaving it into the workflow is a very doable thing. It's never going to replace the hands-on. It's never going to replace the doctor's office on occasion. But I suspect the future will hold visits will be predominantly virtual with maybe a once a year or once every other year check-in in person. And of course, for procedures or acute issues and all that, we're always going to need to have a facility and the ability to test. But this is definitely the future. And I would also point out where, where I am, we've worked at it that the medical assistants actually do the sort of check-in and get the patient online before the doctors walk in, which has actually been very, very helpful and, and easy and avoids that really annoying trying to get somebody online. 
No, it's wonderful. I mean, I can imagine that a virtual waiting room where the patients are waiting and you call on them and whoever's not available, then you go to the next person so that you can make it a lot easier. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation with, uh, with three really um, uh, great experts in telehealth, uh, giving us the, a, a glimpse to the future of how we, we, we as clinicians will be taking care of our patients. I want to thank you for your time uh, during this busy time and get you back to your telehealth visits. I've got a couple of them today. And uh, certainly, I, I hope that you'll come back and listen to this in a year or two. And uh, maybe the, the, the crystal ball that you guys all have envisioned will have uh, come true that we will have a hybrid, um, a hybrid setup for telehealth and an ability with, uh, you know, a, a geek desk uh, uh, ability to, to take care of all the issues and, 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 and the payments and all of that being taken care of. And at the end of the day, making it convenient, having a higher access to healthcare for many, many millions of patients and being able to at the very least check in with a doctor. And I wonder how great this would be for mental health which is incredibly important, and uh, certainly cardiac health as well, but all uh, mental health, which is so sorely needed. Thank you so much for, uh, for your time. And uh, this is Rox Heart Radio, Roxana Moran. Uh, wonderful, wonderful session. Thank you.